So let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Matthew's Gospel and the 25th chapter. Let me tell you a little bit how we got to this text of Scripture for this sermon. It's called Poor Time Management, okay? Last week I taught Sunday school or Adult Discipleship Hour, and the text was here in Matthew 25. And I'm teaching away, and all of a sudden I look up at the clock, and I'm way past my time. And I was like halfway through the lesson. And so I thought, oh no, what do I do? And I couldn't just keep them longer because we have this service afterwards, you know. See, if I go long in this service, you just miss lunch. No big deal, right? Okay. But, um, uh, but there, I couldn't do that. And so I said, oh, man, I, oh, what do I do? I'm trying to figure out what I do. And then I had a couple people. I said, well, maybe I'll send an email. I'll send an email with kind of the last few points that I had. But then I had a couple of people contact me and say, you know, um, we, there are some, some things in there I'd like you to kind of flesh out a little bit more. And uh, is there a way that you can do that in another forum? And so after praying about it and Wayne and I talked a little bit about it, uh, we decided I would just take this service here and this message here and talk uh, about this parable of the talents, and hopefully that will help us in this idea of faithfulness. So I'm going to recover just slightly some things that we've we covered last week if you were in Adult Discipleship Hour, but um, mainly this is going to be new uh, material for us to kind of go through this text of Scripture. So that's how we got here today. And so what I'm going to do is um, I want to give you a little bit of background on the text, and um, I want to read it. And then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Uh, this is a, se- a, a section of Scripture. Again, this is Matthew 25, page 830, if you're using the Bibles there in the seats. This is a, sex- a section of Scripture that is known as the Olivet Discourse. Okay? This is the end of this, this time of this discourse, this teaching of Jesus when he was on the Mount of Olives to the disciples. Okay, so that's where we get the name, Olivet Discourse. He was up on the mountain, and he has his disciples there, and he's given them some teaching. And it really stems from some questions that they ask. I won't have time to go back into chapter 24, but it really starts in chapter 24 when they were, the disciples were really impressed with themselves and the, and the temple, and they asked Jesus to be impressed with the temple. Of course, he's not impressed with the temple. And, he's, and he foretells that there's going to be calamity. And uh, then the disciples are asking him, when will these things happen? When will the end come, basically, is the question. So then, in the rest of chapter 24, and then in chapter 25, he's unpacking this question, if you will, and he's given lots of different uh, uh, analogies. When we get to chapter 25, he starts talking about these two parables, the, the parable of the bridesmaids and then the parable of the talents. And I don't have time to go into all of the, the parable of the, the, the ten virgins or the bridesmaids. But what I will say this is that the general idea of that parable is that the kingdom of God is coming and you should be ready. Okay, so that's the general idea of it. Kingdom of God is coming and you should be ready. In verse 
14 of 25, this is, he begins to show what readiness looks like, okay? So if we're going to be ready for the kingdom, what are we going to do while we're being ready or while we're waiting for that to come, okay? We're waiting for Jesus to return. What does that look like? Jesus says, I'm going to go, and he says, I'm coming back, but you need to be ready. And so he answers with this ta- the parable of the talents what that readiness looks like. Okay, fair enough. So let's read this text, starting in verse 14 of Matthew 25. We'll pray, and then we'll begin unpacking it a little bit. Verse 14, for it will be like, okay, it goes back to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in verse 1. So the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. This is a unit of money. It's a weight of money. Hard to really uh, quantify in today's standard, but it's a lot, a lot. To another two talents. To another one talent. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And in my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into utter outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Talk about a plot twist at the end. It is very clear from this text that it's a contrast. It's a contrast between the the servants. We have faithful versus unfaithful. And it's very important because what seems to hang in the balance is eternity. 
When I was younger, reading through this text of Scripture, I, I remember as, as, a, as a child and as um, a teenager reading through this text of Scripture, and it confused me quite a bit. I would think, why was it that that last servant, why did he have to get eternal judgment? Because that's what's happening here. Why? I, I mean, he didn't steal the money. He gave it back. Why did he get cast out? So we're going to look at that and why that, that's true today. But what made the difference between these servants? What made the difference between faithfulness and unfaithfulness? And that is this. Fear came upon this third servant because he did not know the master. And that fear caused death. If we don't understand God for who he is, we die. So if I'm going to summarize what I want everyone to walk away with today... In one sentence, it would be this. Our faithfulness to God is inextricably linked to our understanding of God. Our faithfulness to God is inextricably linked to our understanding of God. That's what I hope we walk away with today. But let's pray. Father, I pray that in the next few minutes, as we unpack this text, that I would be faithful to it. I I do not want to speak anything about this text of Scripture that isn't accurate to what you have for us. And so I pray that, in, that I would have clear understanding from you and that, that the, the hours of study that have gone into this would bear fruit, but that only goes, that's only going to be through your Spirit. It's only going to be by what you accomplish here. This is not a moment, this is not a matter of my abilities or talents or communication styles. This is a matter of your spirit taking your word and communicating it to your people. And I pray that I would not get in the way of that. I pray that I would not be distracting in any way. I pray that I simply would tell what the text says and that your spirit would then take it and change our lives with it. My own first. And so thank you that we can bow to your word, understanding that it is our authority And I pray that these next few minutes will be helpful and profitable for all who have gathered here. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So, if it is indeed true that our faithfulness to God, which this text is clearly about, this text is clearly about honoring and and saying that the faithful servants will be to be emulated, where the worthless servant, that third servant, is to be rejected, and we should not be like that third servant. If that is true, and if our faithfulness to God is, is directly linked in an inseparable way to our understanding of God, then we need to understand what this text teaches about God. In this parable, obviously the master is the representative of God here. And so what can we learn about God? What can we learn about the master from this text? I'm going to show you four things real quickly here. And from those four things are going to flow how we're supposed to be faithful in this life, okay? Because we're going to link it to our understanding of God. So from the text of Scripture, we see four things about God that I'm just going to mention here quickly, and then we'll unpack it. First of all, we see that he is obviously very wealthy, okay? He has a lot, I mean, these, the amount of talents that is being on display here 
is mind-boggling in terms of number, okay? So in every commentary that I ever read about this and I looked on this, it means that basically they said it's really hard to quantify the amount in today's currency because there was, it was a weight system. And so a weight of gold, a certain talent of gold was more than, than silver or, or bronze even, but it was an enormous amount. So he was very wealthy. We also see in the text of Scripture, which we'll unpack, that he is wise. He's very wise. One of the things he does to show his wisdom is he says he gave each according to his ability, okay? So he's wise. So he's wealthy. He's wise. Then there's also this idea of reasonable. And I couldn't think of a synonym that started with a W there to make it consistent for you. So if you just want to say reasonable, that's okay with me, okay? Um, So we have he's wealthy, he's wise, he's reasonable, and he's worthy to be trusted, okay? That's the outline. That's the idea of the the nature of God that we see from this text. Now we're going to unpack from that how we be faithful in light of our understanding of the master. First of all, the idea of wisdom. In order to be a faithful servant, we need to understand, or excuse me, wealthy, not wisdom. We only understand about the wealth of this person or this master here. I already talked about how he had so many talents and he had so much money there. And it was clear that he has uh, 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 unlimited wealth there that he was allowing his servants to manage for him while he was away. So point number one, never forget that while we may possess, it is God who owns Okay, so if we're going to be faithful, remember, we're answering the question, how do we be faithful in this life? The first thing is we need to think about the nature of God and that he's wealthy and that he owns everything. So in order to be faithful, we must never forget that while we may possess things, it is God who owns them. We talked a little bit about that last week, and even that came up in today's Adult Discipleship Hour class as well. The fact of the matter is, is that God does not need us. The master here did not need the servants to make to give him more money. Clearly, he was successful as it was about making money without them, but yet he was entrusting it to them to help him while he was away. But the reality is, is that he didn't need them. And the same is true with God for us, is that God truly doesn't need us. It's not like that God's up in heaven and he says, man, I just want to accomplish these things on the earth. And, and man, I, I, just, I just wish, I just wish Tammy would get on board because if Tammy gets on board, I could do so much more. But, you know, you know she's, she, she's you know, in Cozumel getting a tan. And, and so, you know, I don't know where this illustration came from. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, I, I can't use her, right? Because, you know, you can't be used by God in Cosmo. No, just, just pointing that out. So, obviously I'm teasing. But the point is this, is that that's not how God works. God doesn't need us. It's funny, I read some of the passages of Scripture. I shared this last week in Matthew, excuse me, Psalm 50. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullness are mine. God's not hungry. He doesn't get hungry. But he says, man, if I got hungry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you because everything I have is, is mine. You know, when my kids are hungry, which happens often, okay? Yeah, I didn't think it'd be this often, but it does happen often, okay? So they're hungry, and they come to me and say, Dad, I'm hungry, or I need a snack, right? 
I'd forgotten, you know, before I had children of, you know, this, this bountiful blessing of snacks, right? Okay. And so I need a snack. And so they come to me, they go to, they go to a nook and they say, I'm hungry. Give us something to eat, right? Well, a nook does not come to me and say, Jeremy, I need a snack. I'm hungry. And expect me to go get it. I don't do that to her. Why? Because we understand that we own what's in the house. The kids, they don't own the Oreos. I make sure they know that, okay? All right? They don't own that. Dad owns the Oreos, right? Okay? If I'm hungry, I don't go to the kids and say, hey, hey, Mia, can, can you get me a snack? I need a snack. Can I please have a snack? You see, the point is that God says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you because I own everything. God doesn't need us. He said, well, why does he want us to praise? Well, he wants us to praise mainly for our benefit, but also because he deserves it. But remember, in Luke chapter 19, you remember when Jesus was going into the, 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 the city there and, and the kids and the people were praising him. And remember, the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they said, hey, hey, stop them. Keep them quiet. Make sure they don't do that. Do you remember what Jesus responded to them? He says, if I make them stop, even the rocks will cry out praise to me. And so the point is that God doesn't need us. It's not like he looks at our possessions and says, yeah, I need that. Please use it for me. No, he gave it to us. He already owns it. Um, God gives us good things to be used for his glory. So if we're going to be faithful, never forget that while we possess, it is God who owns it. And in our possession, we are to use it for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? He's saying, what, what, what do you have that you, hasn't been given to you? It's been given to you, and so it's not yours. Don't brag about it as if it's yours. So I want you to think about it. everything you own, everything you have, because we're not talking about just money here. We're talking about possessions. Everything you have has been given to you. It has been given to you. You say, but I have worked hard for this. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. Don't doubt that you've worked hard. But who gave you the energy and the health to be able to work hard? Who gave you that job? Who gave you the connection to get you where you are to be? Who gave you the backgrounds that you had? Who gave you the training that you had? We all trace it back to God's providence. This is why we brag as if it's ours. We will not be faithful if we lose sight of the fact that while we may possess it, we do not own it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Or, yeah, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. And so whatever we're to do, whatever we have, is for God's glory. The gifts that God gives to us are good, and we derive a certain satisfaction and joy and comfort from them of what God's given to us, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I must caution us this morning that we should not sacrifice what is commanded for what is comfortable. It's commanded to us to use everything for God's glory. We should not sacrifice being obedient to that command in order to maintain a certain amount of comfort by hanging on to things that truly aren't ours, that are just in our care, in our keeping. You see, in order for us to be faithful in this life, while we're waiting for Jesus to return, we need to understand that while we may possess it, it is God who owns it. 
And so we use it by his rules and not according to our own. And so we're commanded to use God's good gifts for his glory, not our own comfort. So do not sacrifice what is commanded for your own personal comfort. I must move on. There's the nature of God, there's the nature of the master here about he was wealthy, he owns everything. And from that, our faithfulness, we need to understand, we can say, how do we live faithful in that? And connection to the wealth is the idea that he owns it, not us. The second part I talked about that we can learn from the master is that he's wise. It says he gave to each of his ability. He didn't give the 10 talents to the one talent guy or the five talents to the one talent guy because he understood their abilities. And so he's incredibly wise. And so what I would say to this that we can learn in, 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 as, a, as a way for us to be faithful while we're waiting for the return of Christ in light of this knowledge of the master is that we must use what we have been given today and do not wait for what may come tomorrow. We must use what we've been given today instead of trying to wait for something else to come tomorrow. You know, that one talented guy, he might have said, well, you know, maybe more is coming. I should wait a little bit. But you see the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy immediately, did you notice that in the scripture it says in verse 16, and he had received the five talents, went at once. And it says, and so with the second-talent guy. Immediately, right away, they took what was given to them and they used it for their master's good. And so, use what we have been given today. Do not wait for what may come tomorrow. You see, God is wise enough to know what resources we need to be faithful to him, as I mentioned, according to their ability. It'd be tempting to look at time and think, well, you know what, I don't really have a lot right now, and so I need to kind of keep that, and I need to get into a position where I'm a little bit stronger, where I have more to offer, and so then I can be faithful to God once I have that, because I have so little right now, I can't really truly give, give this because it's all I have. When I get to a certain comfort level, then I can give it. Or when I get to an age level. You know, right now, I, I'm young, and I just kind of want to enjoy life, and, and I don't really need to settle down yet. I, I don't want to be, be tied down to anything right now. And so when I get older, when I get more established, then I will get more serious about being faithful to God. Let me tell you, that day will never come. I remember asking my brother for advice. I was thinking about asking my wife to marry me. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time. You, you, you understand. But anyway, and so I, I, I remember saying, Jason, he had already been married. And I said, Jason, I said, do you, what do you think you know, about timing? I said, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to be married. I want to be married, but I don't know if I'm ready for it. I mean, I'm thinking financially, I'm thinking wisdom, I'm thinking all sorts of stuff. And you know what my brother told me? He says, well, you're never ready. <laughs> you know, he goes, you're always going to think you're not ready. He says, at some point, you just got to do and ask her to marry you if you're convinced she's the one. I remember youth teens, they would ask me questions as they would grow and they would go to college and then they would start dating. I can't think of one right now, it comes to my mind. And, and he was stressing out. Man, he was stressing out because he, he, he wanted to ask this girl to marry him. You know what I'm thinking of? And so he, he was just stressing. So I'm going out with him. I'm having dinner with him and all this stuff. And he's like, Mr. Jeremy, he's like, 
How did you know? How did you really know that Anuk was the one? I mean, of, of all the women in the world, it was Anuk. How did you know that she was the one? How did you get to that place where you could, you could say, get married? You know, and I had tried to help this guy a million different ways to this. I was getting kind of tired, if I'm going to be honest with you. I love him, but I was getting kind of tired, and so I didn't know what else to tell him. And so I told him, I said, well, I kind of ran out of reasons not to marry her. And he's like, that's it? I'm like, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I, we looked at it. And we're just like, I, okay, let's get married. You know, either break up or get married. And so we chose to get married. Yeah, it's been great. But my point is, is that we're always looking, if we're always looking for another stage, we're always looking for something better to come along, then we'll get serious about our faithfulness to God. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And we look at other people and we see that other people may have more to offer and so there should be the one that is actually placed in the area of service to the Lord and faithfulness to the Lord and the using of their talents to the Lord because they have much better talents than I do. But the point is they may. And in this story, there was someone who had more, but they all had the same responsibility. So while others may have more resources, we all have the same responsibility. So we can't look at other people. We can't look at other people and say, okay, they should be using their money for this ministry or they should be using their time for this ministry because they don't have kids at home or they don't have the obligations at work that I have or they don't have the health concerns that I have or all those type of things. Now, I understand that all those things I mentioned may limit us in our ability, and that's fine because we see that the, that, 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 that the master doesn't expect the same thing from every servant, but he expects us to be responsible with what he does give, it, give to us. And so this idea of wisdom, what we know of God, that he is wise, and so that means he has given us what we need to serve him. And so if we're constantly waiting for something better to come along, or our position to get stronger, or us to get better at whatever it is, we're we're mismanaging what he's given to us in that moment. Now I'm not saying it's wrong wrong to try to get more. That's not my point. Or try to get wiser, or try to get more training. I'm not saying that it's not wrong. But what I'm saying is it is wrong if we wait to use our faith or wait to be faithful to God until we think we get to a certain level. That's when it's wrong. We start in our faithfulness and we give God whatever we have in the moment and where we're at right now. And then as God increases, we give more. Is, doesn't that seem in the parable here? And so, well, we know of the master is that he's wise. And so we should not wait until we have more before prioritizing faithfulness because he's given us what we need. You think, well, I don't really have much, and what can I do with so little? You know, that, that comes up quite a bit in the scriptures. What can I do with so little? It, it seems like God is the genius at blessing faithfulness regardless of the amount. Remember, uh, Rob mentioned this in Adult Discipleship Hour, the, the widow who was giving at the church there, at the service there, synagogue, and she just put a couple pennies in, two widow's mites known as... And Jesus was sitting on the other side of the treasury box so he could see what people were putting in and other people, the religious people, were getting in, putting in more money. But this widow comes in and, and just sacrificially gives two pennies to the work of the Lord. And Jesus looks over and says, she's giving more. She's giving more. You see, this goes back to the first point. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need your money but he wants your heart to be committed to him. 
and be faithful to him and say, it's not mine, it's yours. Just use it for, for however. I, don't, I wish it were more, but I'm just going to give what I have. And see, a lot of times we're so quick to use the excuse of I don't have much. I don't have time. And so then we're not faithful to what we do have. And a lot of times we make the decision to cut the wrong thing out, by the way. When we have a full schedule, a lot of times we do need to cut things, but we make the wrong decision of what to cut out because we're in a spiritual warfare when we're making those decisions. But the point is, is that God, he blesses even the smallest of gifts there. The feet of the 5,000, remember, he, what, is, what are they, these two fish and five loaves among so many people? God used it. The Macedonian church's generosity in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they gave out of their poverty, and God used it. So the point is this. God blesses. And his wise, and he says, I know this is what you're going to have, and I'm going to give this to you in my wisdom, and so don't think you need more to serve me. Use what you have. So every person here, you have exactly what you need right now to be faithful to God. So go. Be faithful with your time. Be faithful with your energy. Be faithful with your talents instead of waiting for more to come. I need to move on. Uh, before I do that, let me say this. I think part of the fear, we know that third person, that third servant was afraid because he said he was. I think part of it was he was afraid of failure and that paralyzed him. And so I do want to say this. We should be much more afraid about being unfaithful than we should about being a failure. I think that he was concerned, like, what if I, what if I lose the money and the investments? So at least I'm going to bury it, and I'm just going to keep it there. And so if he comes back, he was kind of hedging his bets, I think, a little bit there. But he says, if he comes back, then I can at least dig it up and give it to him and give it back to him. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be a failure, so he was paralyzed by that fear. But we should be much more concerned about not being faithful what God has given to us than about being a failure. Because even if we, if we do use our talents and we do use our money in efforts to try to glorify God and it's not received well, the results really are up to God. He doesn't care. He wants our heart. That's the point. I need to move on. What else do we know about the, the, the master here? I, I, I said thirdly, he was full, first wealthy, wise, and then he's reasonable. This idea of reasonableness comes into when he responds to the third servant, when he says, you then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming. I should have received what was my own with interest. Basically, he was saying, look, you were upset. You were frustrated. You were confused. You didn't know what to do necessarily, but you could have easily at least gone to the bankers, and in that system, it would be the money changers, and you could have given it to them. The money changers would have taken the money. They would have used it for their business, but then when they returned the money, there would be, after a time, a little bit of interest that would have been gathered on. He says, at least you could have done that. That was the most easy thing. He, so but what he's saying is, he's saying, I wasn't expecting you necessarily to do what the five-talent guy did or even the two-talent guy did. I was expecting you to do something, though, with what I gave you. So he's reasonable in that. So what can we, as we're trying to figure out how to be faithful, what can we learn from the reasonableness of the master here? And that is this, I think. We start with the obvious, then move to the obscure, okay? When we're trying to be faithful in our living, start with the obvious. 
then move to the obscure. Because a lot of times we start asking these questions. Well, what does that mean? How do I know if I'm being faithful? And all these type of things. And we're going to talk about that in just a second here. But the idea is, is, well, before you go down that road, start with the obvious. That's what the master did. He says, you could have at least gone to the bankers. That's the most obvious thing you could have done here, but you didn't do it. So start with the obvious things in our faithfulness. We know some of the things that God has commanded to us. And so the obvious way to be faithful is simply obedience. Bible reading, prayer, church attendance. I'm not going to go through all the lists and everything there, but the things that you just know right away are just obvious acts of obedience. Start there in your faithfulness before you start working on all the obscure parts of it. The master, as I said, gave the obvious solution to this third servant because he's a reasonable man. Other opportunities for faithfulness are much more obscure, though, uh, obscure, however, and this is one of the things that we didn't get to last week in, in talking about this idea of uh, the, in the lesson, there's an illustration called comparison shopping. So I want to talk about that just for a second here. And this is the idea of moving to the more obscure. So we start with the obvious, and then now we're in the more obscure part. So how do we know? Sometimes in life, wisdom calls or decisions that we make are a little bit difficult. And so here's some suggestions. First of all, we are to compare things of temporal value. As an illustration, this is like time versus money. So for instance, do I pay someone to fix the car so I have time for small groups? Or do I save the money and miss small groups but use the money for the kingdom? (laughs) Which one's better? Which which, which was the better decision to make? So you, you save money, but then you have more to give or more to be a blessing to other people, but yet you can't be mixing with people. Or do you pay someone who don't have the money so then you can mix with the people? Which one's better? I don't know. It it, it could be either one. But the point is is that you're you're wrestling with that and you're saying, okay, I have a a, a reason for doing this. And so if I'm going to miss my time with my small group or whatever the case may be, at least I'm doing this with the intentionality of saving the money because then I'm going to be able to do this. Or vice versa, you're thinking through. So all I'm trying to illustrate is sometimes it just takes comparing temporal things. And usually as I was trying to think through this in different scenarios, it kept coming back to time versus money to me. And so sometimes you're going to have to make that decision. But my point is, as a pastor, I'm just saying, please weigh it. That's all I'm saying. How are you going to be faithful and say, Do, I want to be faithful with my time, and I want to be faithful with my money. And you pray to the Lord, and you make the best decisions you have and those type of things. But start with the obvious, and then you move to these more obscure parts. Uh, compare tangibles with intangibles as you're making decisions about faithful living. So, for instance, Proverbs teaches us that wisdom is more precious than rubies. So go after wisdom than wealth. Uh, fear of the Lord is more important than wealth. So your relationship with God is more important. Righteousness is more important than money, according to Proverbs. A good reputation is more important than riches, according to Proverbs. First Peter talks about the fear in God is more important than gold. And then Mark talks about this idea of salvation from sin being better than if we gained the whole world. And so tangibles versus intangibles, as you're striving to be faithful and you're looking to this, the master, and you're looking to this idea of he's reasonable, We're looking at tangibles versus intangibles. What would he be more happy with? What would bring him more glory is a better way to put it than his happiness. What would bring God more glory and honor my submission to him as I'm pursuing these things? So these are categories. I'm just giving you categories to think in here. 
I can't make all these decisions for you because every person's situation is different. But I'm just giving you categories to think through. The third one would be to compare worldly value versus eternal value. So the first one was all about temporal value, but now we're going to compare eternity versus temporal, or, or yeah, worldly versus eternal. So what would you do if you saw in the news that in 10 days from now, the United States was going to abandon the U.S. dollar and start using the British pound? Okay, so here's the son of news. It's true. In 10 days, that's going to happen. What would you do? Well, you'd convert all that you had into the British currency, right? You'd abandon what is about to lose value and invest in what will maintain value. You're not going to hang on to U.S. dollar. And so if we know that it's going to happen, you say, well, you know what? I prefer George Washington, portraits of Washington and, and Grant and Franklin over the queen, okay? And so I'm going to keep my money. I'm going to keep my U.S. money. Well, that's fine. You can do that. It's up to you. But in 10 days, it's not going to be worth anything. No, you would say, as much as I like George Washington, shouldn't cut down that cherry tree, you're out, okay? You know, the point is that you get rid of it, right? And exchange it for what is going to have and maintain value. Jesus said that's actually going to happen, not to the U.S. and currency, of course, but he says this in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, sometime in the next century, every dollar that you and I own is going to become worthless to us, either because we're dead or because Jesus has come back. But we have the opportunity to use that money now to invest in eternal treasure that will never lose value. The same things with our time and our skills and our energy and our relationships. And so as we're looking at the nature of the master, the nature of God here, we see that he's reasonable. We start with the obvious, and then we move to the obscure. And we have these categories that we can think through about that. But we need to understand that we need to value what he values and not what we value. I need to finish and that is the last observation about the master, and this is the shortest one. And that is he's worthy to be trusted. He was wealthy, he was wise, he's reasonable, he's worthy to be trusted here. He obviously came back. He came back from his journey. He said he was going to come back, and he did. It was after a long time, and so I don't know, could it be that this third servant, did he grow uh, a weary of waiting? Did he lose sight of the master's promised return? Did he hide his money just to hedge his bets in case the master didn't come back and then he would have it? Because if he invested it and it was lost, it was all gone. But if he hid it, at least if the master decided not to come back, he would have the money. Is that what happened? I don't know. All I know is that what we can learn from this is that he's worthy to be trusted. And so we need to remember that our day of reckoning is coming. All three servants had to give an answer. Every one of us that are sitting here today will have a day where we're going to give a reckoning to whether or not we were faithful with what God has given to us. Every one of us. The first servant, the second servant, the third servant, no matter who we are, we will give an account. No one is exempt. And I will say this. As I said last week, we cannot afford to get it wrong. This third servant was cast into eternal destruction. Not because 
he didn't earn enough money and he didn't perform well enough. He was cast into eternal destruction because he didn't know his master. He believed that he was a hard man. He believed all these things. And he says, and he had an unhealthy suspicion of the master, an unhealthy view of him. And the master says, well, if I even was those things, your logic condemns you. Even if I was those things, you should have done this. That would have been even more of a motivation to do what you should do. We may look at God and say that God is unfair or he's aloof or God is unjust and God doesn't, uh, hasn't treated us kindly because he's given other people more than me and I have too much this in my life or whatever the case may be and I don't have enough of that. And that would just condemn us. That logic would condemn you. Because if God is truly unfair and unrighteous, then how will he deal with you in the judgment day? But see, that's not the God of the Bible. That isn't him. He's worthy to be trusted. He's reasonable. He's wise. He's kind. And he wants to have the joy, enter into the joy of the master, he said to the two. And that's his call to you today. Enter into the joy of the master. And so as we consider this idea of how to be faithful while we're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, we need to look at what we know of the master. He's wealthy. He's wise. He's reasonable. He's worthy to be trusted. And that will guide us as we're waiting for the return of Christ. I said before, I wanted you to walk away with this, and that is this. Our faithfulness to God is inextricably linked to our understanding of God. So if you're not faithful to God, it's because you don't understand him. The more you get to know God, the more you understand how good he is, the more you want to give everything, because he is so gracious to us. So let me give you some homework to think through, maybe talk in small groups if your small groups meet this week. I know some aren't because of tonight's meeting, but let me give you this. Well, before I do that, I just want to say I had two types of people in mind today. The first person is the one who wants to be used of God. So if that's you today, be faithful with what you have been given and God will be glorified. The second person I had in mind is the person who is aloof about using what you have for God's glory. And my word to you today, based on this text of Scripture, is be warned the day of reckoning is coming. So let me give you some homework to think through this week. First of all, consider if you understand the difference between possession and ownership. Go through all that you have and ask if you're viewing it as a possession or ownership. Secondly, use something extra for God this week. It could be time, it could be money, energy, a skill, etc. Use something extra. We have those cards that invite people to church. Use a little bit of time this week and say, hey, you know, I would love to see you come to church today. Something you haven't done last week, do it this week or something like that. It doesn't have to be that. I'm just giving an illustration. Third, ask yourself how, you view, how your view of God informs your view of possessions. How your view of God informs your view of possessions. Now, we're talking about faithfulness today. We've talked about this idea of living faithfully to God, and that last point is the idea of that God is worthy to be trusted, and here at the table is one of the greatest reminders of that, is it not? I mean, here we have this bread that is before us, and we have this juice that's before us here And it's a reminder of what Christ did for us. It's a reminder that he will be faithful to us. He has sacrificed everything so that we can have eternal life. And we can enter the joy of the master. And so if you're looking at your possessions, you're thinking, is it worthy? Is it worth giving up everything I have and my time and my energy and all this stuff? Is it worth it? Because I don't see the return. I don't see the return right away. These people didn't see that. My, 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 My statement to you is, look here. 
Look here, Jesus gave everything for us. And so today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and this is for people who are believers in Christ. These are people who follow Christ and want people to, to everyone to know that they are um, followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the bread here in just a second, and that's going to symbolize Jesus' body being broken for us. And then I'm going to invite people to come up to the table here as the musicians are going to lead us in some singing. And we'll come up to the table, grab a piece of bread, grab a cup of the juice, and then go back to your seat. And then we'll eat and drink together in just a minute. Um, If you can't come up, we understand that. People have a hard time walking and things like that. Roger, he's going to take a plate and and a, a tray of the juice and he'll walk back to the sound guys and serve them. And he'll be happy to serve you as well. So don't worry about that. But this is a time for us to worship God in his faithfulness. And you have to know God for that. You have to be a believer in Christ. Because that's what you're saying here at the table is, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Not perfect. You're a sinner just like me that need God's forgiveness. But the point is, is that we are worshiping God in his faithfulness today at the table. So I'm going to pray, ask God's blessing in our time here, and then uh, uh, musicians are going to come on up, and they can come on up now if they want, uh, and then we'll uh, uh, eat and drink after everyone's served. But let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have to worship you at the table here. Thank you that this is a display of your faithfulness, and it should be a reminder of how we should be faithful to you. May what we know of you inform our relationship with you and our service to you. So, Father, I pray that the time that we spend together here would be honoring to you and encouraging to those around us. We're thankful for what you've done. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.